Before we start the show, we'd like to remind our audio listeners that this show was developed as a video podcast. If you'd like to see any of the visuals that are referenced in this episode, we invite you to check out our YouTube channel. Simply search for the Conquer Risk podcast. You'll see all the shows we produce, including this one. And just like the audio, you can subscribe to be notified the moment a new episode drops. Enjoy the show. From Research by Potomac and the Conquer Risk Podcast, this is Who Charted. All right, welcome back to another episode of Who Charted. Coming to you a week early due to various travel schedules. However, the Research by Potomac team, myself, Dan Russo, as well as Drew Wells, are here and ready to go for the most exciting six minutes in market. Six charts, six minutes. Drew, what do you got to kick us off? All right, coming at you with a uh, chart of the Bloomberg Commodity Index. I know this has got to be a real shocker for a lot of you who uh, follow uh, our work that we do. Um, is the S&P 500 in the middle pane here and the rolling six-month correlation with these two indices uh, in the bottom pane here. So talked a lot about commodities, obviously, in our work lately. And, um, you know, you don't have to be a technician to figure out that these relationships really started to diverge uh, at the beginning of the year this year. Obviously, with equities trading down, commodities trading up. Uh, but I think another arrow in the quiver uh, of commodities could certainly be the relationship that it has uh, with stocks. Like, so it's a risk asset. I think a lot of people think that they need something to be completely negatively correlated, you know, in a portfolio for it to perform well. There's a lot of debate around this, but arguably you'd really want something kind of in that neutral range, floating somewhere around zero. And that's really right where we're at, um, you know, with the commodity index and the S&P 500. So could that be a driver that uh, drives slows in the future? We don't know, but it's going to be interesting to see. Speaking of the S&P 500, here it is. Just a weekly chart of the S&P 500. Green line gives us a 40-week moving average. Red line, 10-week moving average. So roughly the uh, 50 and 200-day moving averages. We've written a lot about this. Obviously, we highlight it every week in our work. 4,200, the key level. The question is, what if 4,200 breaks? Uh, well, just kind of doing some basic Fibonacci retracement work from the uh, COVID low to the recent high, a 38% retracement gets you down to around 3,800, 50% retracement gets you down to around 3,500, and a 61.8% retracement of that entire advance brings you back to the initial gap lower um, of the COVID pandemic sell-off. So just some interesting levels. I'm not saying we're going there, but if we start thinking about what happens if 4,200 breaks, these are the levels that I would have on my radar screen for potential downside objectives. All right. We didn't plan this. Promise. Uh, Dan mentioned 4,200, which is really interesting in the S&P. This is uh, a green line here on the chart is capitulatory breadth. So we look at stocks that you know are very stretched from a volatility metric, and we look at periods of time where the S&P 500 components are extremely highly correlated, right? They don't happen a lot. Uh, there's only a handful of signals, really, in the past few years. We got one on March 8th, right? And despite the sell-offs um, of Thursday and Friday of last week, we really haven't seen this like extreme blowout capitulation uh, in market breadth, at least measured by these metrics, right? There's a lot of different ways to measure it, but um, take a look at right where that was at, right? 4150, right in that 4200 range. So I think that kind of lends a little bit more credence to you know that area being tested, but it's gonna be really interesting to see what kind of price action develops from there. So yeah, kind of a lack of capitulation is uh, is something that we've been highlighting a lot. Uh, something else that's interesting, however, though, is you know it is a market of stocks. Everybody's focused on the S and P five hundred, but you know within the you know more aggressive areas of the market, maybe the Nasdaq one hundred, for instance, QQQ, the ETF there. 
Um, it's kind of been lagging for a long time relative to RSP, which is an equal weight S&P 500. So the Qs relative to the average stock in the S&P 500 has essentially gone nowhere um, for almost a year and is actually in the process of breaking down. So while the S&P 500 hasn't broken support yet, obviously there are pockets of the market that are underperforming. This is one of them. Now it's a huge week uh, for the Qs this week in terms of earnings. We're not as focused on that. We're focused on this trend and the potential breakdown here uh, a below support for the Qs relative to the average stock in the S&P 500. All right, low volatility. This has been a theme that I've been uh, kind of beating a dead horse, I think, for uh, ever since uh, my, my time here really with the firm since quarter of four last year, right? So you guys have seen me put this chart out a lot. S&P 500 low vol relative to the S&P 500 top pane, international low vol uh, relative to international developed uh, on the bottom pane right there. So what's interesting is that over, at least over the last year or so, international low vol has actually led uh, domestic uh, low volatility, right? So we've broken out to the upside above relative resistance after a retest above a rising now 50 and 200 day moving average domestically. Take a look at uh, international here, the ratio on the bottom pane. Still haven't tested those March highs. I think, you know, we've got a little bit of headroom to retest that uh, relative resistance level, but it's gonna be really interesting to see what the risk appetite uh, plays out around that level and whether or not that translate in, translates into weakness domestically. All right, finally, we've talked a lot about the emerging positive correlation between stocks and bonds. And, you know, as, as equities have been under pressure, Fixed income has not provided a port in the storm, right? Treasuries have been under pressure. Most of the fixed income market's been under pressure. Drew has touched on it in his weekly macro scans notes every Monday for probably the past four or five Mondays right now. But you know what has been a port in the storm? The US dollar index, which is kind of fascinating to me because in this world of increasing inflation, the hardcore Bitcoin people will tell you Bitcoin is the perfect inflation hedge. The hardcore gold people will tell you that gold is the perfect in inflation hedge. Well, with the CPI pushing around 8%, neither one of those assets is acting well, but we have the dollar index pushing up towards recent highs. So I think that this one is uh, is providing the port in the storm and it kind of starts to blow up a few inflation narratives while we're out there. All right, everybody, thanks so much for spending some time with us. If you like this content, please like and subscribe, and we'll see you in the next video. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you soon. Yeah. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Potomac Fund Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.